Good morning. It's nice to see you all. Um, I was going to introduce myself, but Loby's already done that, so, but I'm going to do it anyway. Um, my name's Alex. It's really good to be here. I'm excited, and I, I feel a little bad. Oh, you guys already see my first slide. Check that out. Um, I'll talk about that in a second. I don't know why that distracted me so much. All right, we'll keep it going. Um, I feel kind of bad this morning because I had been prepping this message for a couple weeks, and I really wanted to talk about, you know, what, what in the world is the church? Because in 2020, when church as we knew it was taken away for a period of time, I think me and several other people that had been in ministry um, kind of had to reckon with something that we kind of had maybe known under the surface, but there was no avoiding it anymore. And that was when there were no more lights and there were no more services. And there wasn't a place for you to go anymore that we had done a really great job of creating attenders at churches. Um, but we had done kind of a poor job of making disciples. That we had kind of twisted our idea of what the church is. And so for me, I just want to, I've never taught like this before. I've got diagrams that I made. Check me out. Um, and so I'm really, so I just want to talk about sort of the short journey that God has taken me on these last couple of years. And what, what's sort of the dream of that I dream when I think of what the church can be in Raytown in East Kansas City. And I just want to give us an opportunity to dream together, to pray together, um, and see what it looks like for the church to really work together. Um, because if the church won't work together, we are, we're, dead, we're dead to rights. Um, no church can be big enough to save our city. And only Jesus can do that. He can only do it when his church works together. Um, but first, before I do any of that, I know that this is kind of a, a difficult or confusing or stressful or tense time in the life of a church um, because you can't replicate um, the leadership that you all have gotten for the last 28 years. That's not normal. And so over these next several months, there is no way I would ever kick you out anytime before you're ready to go. Oh my goodness. Um, I just hope all of you know how special it is that this ministry is so hard and it'll, it'll take everything you've given. There's a saying that says the ministry monster will eat everything that you feed it. Um, and it's hurt a lot of people and a lot of leaders weren't able to withstand it. And it's not common to have a leader and a pastor like Welby to serve for so long. Um, and that deserves honor. And uh, I'm really, really honored just to even been someone that he's pastored and to now be able to pastor with him, the opportunity for that. I'm excited for it. Um, but we have to know how important that is. There will, there will not be another Welby Jones for Sterling Acres. Can't top that. So, um, but the Lord has plans, and that's what I want to talk about today. I'm so excited for it. Um, and so it comes down to, 
I hope I don't step all over what Welby's been preaching over the last several weeks and the several weeks ahead. That's my biggest worry here. But like, what in the world makes church church? Like, what is the church? And I, I know all of us probably know at a bigger level that the church is the people of God. We know what the church is globally. But what makes something church? Because, man, a couple years ago, when we couldn't go to church anymore, it threw so many of us for a loop. And I just had to figure out, like, what, what makes something church? What is church? And there have been several people that are way, way smarter than me. Um, and we come to, this is a big word that I probably wouldn't normally use, um, what we call an ecclesial minimum. All right, so ecclesiology is the study of the church um, in the same way that theology is the study of God. And so what is the minimum thing needed for something to be church? And so I came to this. I didn't come to this. I'm not that smart. This is kind of where I've landed with the help of many people much smarter than me. And the central thing that has to be present if, if the church is there is that Jesus is Lord. That when you look at where that statement even came from, it was a statement where in Rome, after Jesus had left, it was, it was a way of pledging your allegiance to Rome. Because you would say that Caesar is Lord. And so just the statement that Jesus is Lord says that I serve a God who's much higher than the place where I live. Who's much more important than Rome, but the God that I serve, he, he is Lord over this whole universe. That Caesar doesn't stand above him. That Jesus is the Lord of my life. That I walk with him. And for the church to be the church, Jesus has to be at the center of it. Or it is just a bunch of crazy people doing crazy things. That's the beginning. And then there's three components that I think have to be there for something to be church. The first one, that's the next slide, is worship. Check out. I made a whole Venn diagram. It's going to look so cool at the end, I promise. Um... Is that the center of what the church does is worship. That's one of the three core tenets. So we talk and we recognize God's greatness. That he's greater than everything that we could ever face. That we could ever give our own appreciation for. God stands above it. That one of the three core tenets of what the church does. What makes something church is when we worship Jesus. We worship God. The second thing is community. We see it over and over again in the Bible where two or more are gathered, he is there. Don't forsake the gathering. That God's heart from the very beginning of time has been that we wouldn't be alone. There was Adam and God created Eve so that we wouldn't be alone. That core tenet of what makes something church is that you can't do it on your own. That I can worship in my home by myself, but that does not make me the church. It makes me part of the global church. So worship, community, but if you just have those two things, that looks a lot like an at-home Bible study. Some of us may be familiar with the term small group, community group. But it's not church until the third thing exists. And that's mission. 
that we're here for a purpose. That God has a purpose for his people. That we would worship him, we would do it together, and that we would be obedient in his call to serve the nations. To make disciples of all nations. That's what makes something church. And I'm not saying that nothing else can be added because, of course, that's the beauty of the way God has designed us. But if these three things are there, the church is there. If these three things are present, that's what it means to be the church. And once I sort of came to this realization, I realized that the purpose of the church was not to have cool services. It wasn't to have the best programs. But the purpose of the church was to worship God and to do it together and to go where he tells us to go. That's what it means to be the church. That's what it means to be a disciple. A disciple is someone who wants to become more like Jesus and to go where he tells them. We grow in our character and our calling. And so then, like, if that's what the church is, then what what is Jesus planned for his church? Right? I'm sitting there in 2020 and I'm about to plant a church, and all of a sudden the world is completely different. Church planning is completely different. Churches still are sitting at 40 to 60 percent prior attendance. It's the biggest drop we've ever seen in church attendance over a one-year, two-year stretch, and it's not even close. It had never dropped by more than one to two percent, and we dropped 60. How in the world do you plant a church in 2022? What is Jesus planning for his church? And I came to three conclusions. The first one, what is Jesus planning for his church for worship? When I read scripture, I see the great commandment that many of us know. That they ask Jesus, what is the greatest commandment of them all? Jesus' response is that you would love the Lord your God with everything you have. I'm going to paraphrase. To love God, and he says the second is like it, to love your neighbor as yourself. How does the church worship God? By loving him and by because we know how much we love him, we can't help but love our neighbors. That's how the church exhibits worship. That's Jesus' plan for worship. Well, then what is Jesus' plan for mission? Well, we have the great commandment and the great commission. In Matthew 28, 19, Jesus gives us, right before he leaves, this great mission, this audacious, crazy mission that like none of us would ever be able to do. That's how we know it's a God-sized mission. And he says to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. That's the mission Jesus gave us. So what did Jesus plan for his church and mission? It's the Great Commission. And worship is the Great Commandment. And the third one is what does Jesus plan for his church and community? That's something that uh, a lot of uh, I've seen called the Great Collaboration. It's in John 17, and this is where I want us to stay today. Because we're really great at worship and we're really great at mission, but I think sometimes in our own humanity, we can isolate ourselves. 
We can search to be in spaces where we um, all act the exact same. But then what happens is we begin to create small groups of churches all across the city that don't know one another. And Jesus' church is scattered but separate. So what does it look like for us to be scattered? We will never all be in the same place at the same time. But what does it look like for the church to be scattered yet unified? And that's what Jesus prays for in John 17. So I'm going to read John 17 verses 20 through 26. And this is Jesus praying. These are Jesus' words. So he starts off and he prays for his disciples. And then he prays, secondly, for those who will learn from his disciples teaching us. So here it goes. Verse 20. He says, my prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. That all of them may be one father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you sent me. I've given them glory that you gave me that they may be one as we are one. I and them and you and me so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Father, I want those you have given me to be with where I am and to see my glory, the glory you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you. And they know that you have sent me. I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them. And that I myself may be in them. This is Jesus' plan. This is what he prayed for, for us, for his church, globally, locally. This is what Jesus wants for his church. And, and I think when any of us look at the church and we think about the church, specifically uh, in America, uh, I don't know if unified would be one of the things we would use to describe. And I understand that for so many of us, me being one of those, we have our different flavors and our different tastes and the things we like and the things we're particularly passionate about. And that's one of the things that makes the church so beautiful is that it, it is diverse. It is scattered, but Jesus's prayer is that even though that is the case, that we would still be one. That we would still walk in unity. And that is Jesus' desire. See, Jesus prayed for his church to be unified. When I think today, what would Jesus want for his church? I don't have to think very hard because we have it in Scripture. That Jesus' prayer was for his church to be unified. He says it over and over again that they may be one, the same that I am in you is talking to the Father. And that since the beginning of time, when we read in Genesis 1, we see the Trinity present, that God has always been a God of community. Different gifts, different purposes, but oneness. And that same thing he modeled for himself 
is this beautiful, perfect model of what his church can look like. Jesus prayed for his church to be unified. And the second thing that I see when I look at this is Jesus makes a pretty obvious statement. Is that when the church works together, the world sees the power of Christ. That when the church works together, the world can see the power of Christ. He says, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Jesus prays that when the church is unified, that's when the world will know. That God has sent him and has that same love for us that he has for Christ. That when the church works together, that's when the world sees the power of Christ. Because one of the things that I had to recognize as a pastor, as a leader with Rock Island and just myself in general, is I had to come to the hard truth that Rock Island will never save Kansas City. Rock Island will never save Raytown. I can never save my neighborhood. I can't save my city. But Jesus can. And we can build the biggest church in all of Kansas City, and there will still be hundreds of thousands of people who never knew Jesus. That it's only when we commit to walking hand in hand as the church that we can see a city changed. That we can see needs met. That we can see lives turned around through the life-changing grace of Jesus. This is how we do it. Is by being a church and being a people that's willing to walk side by side for the greater cause. We will always have our own cause. And those are passions that God has given us. But if we ever want to see a city change, we have to be willing to walk in unity. We have to be willing to see the bigger picture. And so when I look at what the church looked like in Acts 2, 42 through 47, Luke gives this beautiful description of exactly how the church functioned. This is how the church functioned in the New Testament. And it'll be up on the screens. But as we read this, I want you to think of the ways that we can do this together. What are the ways that we can embody Acts 2, 42 through 47? Together. Read with me. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. And everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. And all the believers were together, and they had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God. And enjoying the favor of all people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. I'm going to read it one more time. 
because I made that print really small. I'm so sorry. And they devoted to themselves, to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. And everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and they had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Everyone, every day, they continued to meet together in the temple courts, and they broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. Praising God and enjoying the favor of all people, and the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. When I, when I read this, depending on what mood I'm in, I have two thoughts. I'm either filled with hope for what the church can be, or in my hardest moments, I'm discouraged because I just don't see that in myself. I don't see that in the church at large. But the, but the best thing about all of this is that there's nothing for us to manufacture. What would it look like if your neighborhood looked like this? What would it look like if this neighborhood looked like this? If your workplace looked like this? If your home looked like this? If the places where you spend your time, the communities you find yourself in, what would it look like? How different would those spaces be if they looked like this? Everyone had everything in common. That doesn't mean they're all the same. But it means that they were willing to share what they had with each other. They were willing to give up. Those who, who had were able to give up to those who needed. What would it look like if, as the church, we were able to completely increase our generosity? If we all embodied that personally, how would our schools be changed? How would kids' lives be different? What if we all were able to embody this? And that's what I, what I want us to dream about. Is that it's a different road, no matter whether um, you all would like me to be a part of it or not. Is that the Lord is doing something here. And there's an opportunity for Sterling Acres to be able to do for so many in Raytown what they were able to do for me. This is the place where I was born and raised. I wasn't actually born here. I don't know why I said that. It was just, a, it just came out like that. Um, this is the place that made me. This is the place where I figured out who God was where I found the call on my life. And as we look into the future, and I know it's, it's scary and there's change, but I really believe that God, he's already doing the work. He's already working. And that if we can come together, we can embody this John 17 unity in the church. We can embody this Acts 2, 42 through 47 unity in the church, 
I really believe that we can see crazy things. God work in unimaginable ways. If we were just willing to say, here I am, Lord, use me. To step into new things. To be brave enough to hear God lead us out of the things we've always known into the new. And that day after day after day, I have to pray like, Lord, what it is do you have for me? And I have to tell myself, this is the phrase I use all the time. I have to be brave enough to say yes. Individually, as a church, and as the church in Raytown in Eastern Kansas City. How can we embody this? So I just want to invite you all to really spend this week praying over that. To read through John 17, to read through Acts 2, and to act, act, I said ask yourself, oh my goodness. Ask yourself. <laughs> Lord, what do you have for me? Where, what is the next step you want me to take? How can I embody a unified church? How can I make steps to love my neighbor better? How can I take steps to love you better? Where are the places where you've been asking me to be a disciple maker, been asking me into the mission of the church where I just haven't done it? Where are the places where you've been asking me to be a unified church, be a part of the unified church, and I just haven't been willing to do so? Because I know that he's a God that's already working. He's already moving. He's provided for all of us and he's providing for so many more. And if, as Jesus says, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. And if we would be willing to stand up and say, here I am, Lord, use me. The harvest is there. All we have to do is walk in obedience. And be brave enough to say yes when he leads us into new waters. Pray with me. Lord, um, this all belongs to you. It's all yours. Rock Island is yours. Sterling Acres is yours. I am yours. Every seat in this room is yours. Our families are yours. So Lord, do as, do as you please. We can't manufacture or create anything that is even close to what, what you've already done, God. So we give it all to you. You're so much stronger, so much smarter. We need you. So guide us through this next season, whatever it may look like. Lord. You're in control always in control. The center of all of this is that Jesus is Lord. You are Lord of my life. And I will go where you go. And I will stay when you ask me to. Guide us, Lord. We need you. See you in your prayer. Amen.